Hey there, guys. Welcome to episode 63 of Dating Skills Podcast. I'm your host, Angel Donovan. Today is a tricky subject, or at least it's an area where more mistakes are made than elsewhere. It's about making conversations sexual, also known as sexualizing conversations. The idea behind this is that with a woman you are interested in, making conversations sexual clearly communicates to both you and her that your interaction isn't just platonic. It also helps to smooth things out by helping a woman get used to the idea of sex with you before anything physical actually happens. That's even kissing, for example. So it sets an expectation of you having some kind of sexual relationship and in that way helps to avoid any awkwardness that might come up later on. Besides of all of this, it can also be a pretty fun way to interact with women and adds a bit of variety to the conversation for both of you. So why is it tricky? Well, as with most more sexual topics, it's because we're a bit shy and awkward about these kind of things. But also, it's because it's easy to get wrong. Say the wrong thing, or say the right thing at the wrong time, go too far, or as often the case is, not go far enough and making it awkward again. So this is a practical nuts and bolts episode for you if you recognize that your communication with women never really takes that sexual turn. Today's guest is Jonathan Lee, also known as John Sin. John is a pickup artist who has over 10 years of experience and continues to live the pickup lifestyle today. He originally interned and studied under Mystery, aka Eric von Markovic, who is perhaps one of the best known pickup artists of all time. Since 2008, John has run his own courses out of the company Sins of Seduction. We had John on the show before in episode 38. That episode had some great info that was also very practical on hacking conversation skills, basically making them much easier to learn. So check that out if you're interested in that. Besides the sexualizing conversation topic today, John also dropped some pretty interesting insights into the state of dating today in the US compared to just five years ago, for example. That's interesting stuff too. As we've always, you can get the transcript of this interview the MP3 download and links to everything we reference and chat about on the show at datingskillsreview.com slash DSP63. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode. John, great to have you back on the show. It's been quite a while. You were on back in episode 38, so that's quite a while back on Conversation Skills. How are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you back. So today what I wanted to talk to you about is uh, making conversations sexual, making interactions sexual, which I know is a big part of your seduction roadmap, big part of what you do. So to start with, what is a sexualized conversation? Sure. One of the things that I think a lot of guys struggle with is how do we get the conversation sexual, right? You've built attraction, you've qualified the girl, you've built some comfort. Now you're talking to a girl 45 minutes, an hour into the conversation, and you haven't really turned things sexual. And at a certain point, 
before you start kind of escalating physically, you're going to need to turn things sexual so that it's not some sort of big surprise by the time you try to get her back to your house and start Mm -hmm. to move things in that direction. So when it comes to turning a conversation sexual, there's a bunch of tools and processes for doing it, and that's kind of what we'll be discussing today. But the idea is that you have to do it. You have to sexualize your conversations. And I think a lot of guys, they either don't do it at all, they either just think, okay, well, if I never bring up sex, then somehow when we get back to my house, like it'll just magically happen, which is a bad strategy. Or they go the complete 180 from that and they think that if they like tell the girl they want to fuck her or like they say sexual things kind of out of the blue, that that's going to work too. And both of those strategies are really wrong and don't really help to move things in the right direction. So what I'm going to be talking about today is how to do that the right way. Okay, so it sounds like it's basically a way to make the interaction smoother so the girl knows what to expect coming down the line. And she's getting with that kind of gear of the flow, which you're expecting rather than shocking her and maybe making her uncomfortable by surprising her with it later. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yeah, it's about kind of slowly introducing sex in a variety of ways in the conversation so that there's no big shift or change when you start to try to get sexual. So she kind of knows what to expect, right? And that's the whole basis behind the technique of sexual framing is the idea that if you can get a woman to accept some sexual frames, then it only makes sense for the two of you to get sexual later. So why wouldn't guys bring up this earlier in the conversation? You said that a lot of guys don't bring this up. Why is that? Uh, I think a lot of the time guys are nervous about coming off as like a pervert or coming off in a way that's unattractive or in a way that's going to blow their chances. Other guys have sexual anxiety and they're just uncomfortable talking about sex and sexual relationships in general. Still other guys think they're going to play like the good guy or like nice guy role and that that's going to help them to get girls. But none of that actually will help. So there's no real upside to not introducing sex as a topic in your conversations. It really just kind of messes you up. Right, right. Are there any downsides to introducing it? Um, Well, there's downsides to introducing it the wrong way. You can definitely blow yourself out if you do this too early in an interaction. Very few things will blow you out as quickly as trying to get sexual too early in the interaction before the woman's attracted to you before she's kind of comfortable talking to you. And then just doing it in a kind of ham-fisted way also doesn't help. Guys are very direct in their communication styles, and women are a lot more subtle. So just saying, like, I really want to fuck you, like, that's not going to help you, like, almost ever. But that would be a way of, quote-unquote, sexualizing the conversation. So it's kind of about doing it in the right way at the right time. And I think that's part of why guys don't do it is they don't know when the right time is and they don't know what the right way is to do those things. Yeah, it sounds like it's awkwardness mostly. Mm -hmm. But in fact, you create more awkwardness by not bringing this up because it becomes a surprise later. So does this play a role at all in attraction? When you're making conversations more sexual, does it also play a role in getting the woman more attracted to you at the same time? Because here we've been talking basically as like a way to smoothly introduce sex down the road. So it's comfortable and it, and it works out for both for the girl as well. And it's a comfortable situation for her. But does it play any role in the actual attraction vibe between you as well? It can. As you get better, you can introduce this stuff earlier and earlier. And I mean, what is attraction? Attraction is an emotion. There's a lot of ways to build that emotion of I want more of this or I want I'm interested in this. 
sexual attraction is a type of attraction. There's no one size fits all type of attraction. There's value-based attraction. There's physical attraction. There's sexual attraction. There's a lot of different types of attraction, right? You can use sexuality to build a certain type of attraction. Is it necessary every time to get a woman attracted? No. Are there going to be some women who are not attracted to that type of attraction style? Absolutely. But it definitely can be worked into your attraction game. But I would say that's kind of a more advanced type of thing. If you're just kind of starting out or if you're still having trouble getting attraction, you don't really want to focus on trying to get sexual attraction as much as trying to focus on on trying to get attraction emotionally through kind of emotional fluidity rather than trying to get sexual. Right. So what you're saying about this is that you have a sexual vibe and that's attractive to women. Is that basically what sexual attraction is? Yes and no. I think that's a bit reductive. A sexual vibe could be good or bad. There are guys who have bad sexual vibes. There are guys who have good sexual vibes. Sexual attraction comes from basically creating attraction as an emotion. The overall idea of creating attraction is the idea of creating this emotion. And this emotion is, I want more of that. When you are creating sexual attraction, what you're doing is you're creating that, that emotion of wanting in the woman, but specifically around the topic of sex and sexuality. For example, if I'm like talking to a woman and I start like flirting with her and I start saying things like, clearly your boyfriend doesn't spank you enough, or I tell a sexual story and she laughs and starts to become attracted, then that's going to be sexual attraction. The attraction, that emotion of wanting has been created around the basis of sexual conversation rather than around the basis of me controlling her emotions or me demonstrating a lot of value or me physically being her type. That makes sense? Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, another element I wanted to kind of clear up here is we talk a lot about getting physical and how that's important to creating a sexual interaction between you and the girl as well. Is this completely separate to that? Is a sexual conversation something you should start at the same time as getting a little bit physical, like basically a bit more touchy, so that that doesn't become a shock either? Or is, are there different times to introduce this? Are they separate things or should they be done together? Um, getting physical, like the way I think about that is there's three things going at all times in an interaction with a woman. There's your verbal kind of track, what you're talking about, which is what we're talking about is turning that sexual. Then there's physical touching. You know, you're always touching and touching is always going to be an expression of kind of intimacy and sexuality. And then there's logistics. When you're when you're really going sexual, like talking, um, it can sometimes be a good idea to pull back on the touching because you don't want to go too far. There's a balancing act when you're turning things sexual. You want to get her turned on, but you don't want to create a sexual threat where she feels like, okay, right now I have to get sexual or this interaction's over. So I like to balance it out. I like to, if I'm touching her a lot and if things are kind of physically progressing very fast, then I'm going to probably dial back the sexual talking because she gets what's happening physically. Like if we're making out a lot, if I'm like pulling her hair, if I'm like touching her body, feeling her legs, stuff like that, then I don't nearly need as much of the turning the conversation sexual because there's already a very sexual vibe that's being established. On the other hand, if I'm turning the conversation really sexual and I'm doing like dirty talk and stuff like that, I may really cut down to a bare minimum amount of touching because I don't want to just go too far too fast and create that sexual threat, which will make her uncomfortable. 
You never want to present the option for sex until you're somewhere logistically where sex can happen. So if I go too far too fast, I mean, if you do things like trying to finger girls in clubs, I mean, that that can work. But a lot of the time that will also end up with the girl leaving you or you getting cock blocked because you've just gone too far too fast. So it's really kind of a pacing issue there is what time of the night is it? Do I have logistics? Is she with a group? Is there going to be cock blocks? You don't really want to pour it on super heavy until you basically are at the point where you're trying to pull the girl out of the club. So here we're talking about the physical escalation aspect of it. Well, I'm talking about the combination. Okay. So could you overdo it? If you're not in the right logistical situation, could you overdo it with the verbal aspect as well? Just purely? You can always overdo it by messing up the pacing. What I'm talking about here is the pacing of the interaction. You have to look at how she's responding to all of this stuff. If she's responding really well and she's go with everything you're doing, then you can go faster. But if she's kind of touch and go, then you need to balance out getting super sexual with releasing, with teasing and with pushing her away both physically and verbally. Because you can't just pull, pull, pull. You can't just like pour on the sexuality and pour on the touching unless the girl is really ready to leave with you. If you do that too early on, you're going to creep the girl out and it's going to be too much too soon. And then she's going to want to leave the interaction. So it's a balancing act between the verbal and the physical. And obviously you can overdo either of them if you just keep doing them and you're not, you're not kind of using checks and balances. So verbally, that means using teases, using releases, using barriers in order to take away the sexual threat. There's a big difference between I want to bend you over and fuck you. And if nobody was here right now, I would bend you over this table. One is a direct sexual threat. The other has a barrier involved, which allows it to become something the girl can enjoy without it being immediately sexually threatening and without it making her make a yes or no decision about sex right away. So same thing for physically. When you're pulling a girl in, when you're making out and you're doing all that stuff, you also need to stop at certain points and push her away in order to create the tension that allows you to go further. So when it comes to verbal sexualization and touching, it depends on where you're at in the interaction, but you want to be able to use both of those to kind of balance. If I'm going very sexual verbally, I'm probably going to dial down the sexual touching. If I'm going very sexual touching, I'm probably going to dial down the verbal sexual stuff to create that balance and not, not make her feel threatened. So the key word is definitely balance here. That's come up a lot. Don't want to push it too far. So in a minute, I'd like to talk about how you know where that balance is, because obviously I think that's going to be one of the main issues guys come up with, like putting too much in or putting too little in. But first of all, can we have look at a few examples so they really get it concrete in their minds what we're talking about in terms of sexualizing conversations here? I mean, you've already thrown a couple out, but do you have any framework or different options or different approaches for this? Sure. And I'll share a couple of sexual frames and I'll share a couple of things I do to sexualize the conversation. One of the best things I use is what's called the strawberry fields test. And this is a great way to sexualize an interaction. And so basically I'll do this. It's also a really good way to isolate. So I'll do this maybe five to 10 minutes into a conversation. I'll say, you know what? You seem really cool, but I'm not sure about you yet. I'm going to have to give you my cool girl test. And I'll pretend like I'm thinking about what kind of test I'm going to give her. And I'll go, you know what? I'm going to give you my strawberry fields test. So you want to do this in isolation. You want to use this as an excuse to like move her away, even if it's just a few feet to where her friends can't hear. And so then I'll sit her down and I go, okay, like I want you to imagine you're walking down the street and you come to a fence. How high would your fence be? 
And a mistake a lot of guys make with these kind of routines and these kind of tests is they try to actually like analyze the girl. You don't want to do that. You want to just say the exact same thing, no matter what any of her answers are. And I'll explain how to do that in a minute. So I'll say, okay, so you climb the fence. Now you're in a strawberry field. How many strawberries do you eat? And whatever she says, I'm going to kind of like shake my head. Oh man, you're bad news. And I'll go, and what about the farmer? And the phrasing, what about the farmer, is very important because we're trying to lead her to a specific answer. We want her to say something like, fuck the farmer, I don't care about him, or I'll pay him, something like that. So then I'll go, all right, you ready for what all that means? She'll say, yeah. I go, absolutely nothing. I always like to joke, whenever you're doing tests, it's good to keep it a little lighter rather than take it super serious. So your fence is your goals and aspirations. So you set the bar high, but not so high you can achieve it. So again, it doesn't matter if her fence is a foot or 100,000 feet. I'm always going to say the fence is your goals and aspirations. You set the bar high, but not so high you can't achieve it. Now the strawberries. Now, again, doesn't matter if she said 100 strawberries. Doesn't matter if she said I'll take a bite of a strawberry. No matter what she says, I'm going to say the same thing. So I'll say you said four strawberries. Most people only have one or two. That means you have like a really high sex drive and you're sexually aggressive with people you're attracted to. Now, if you remember at the beginning of this interview, I said you want to use sexualizing the conversation after you have attraction. Here's an example of why. If I say this before she's attracted to me, she's not going to apply that to me. If I've already gotten her attracted to me, now I'm framing her as being sexually aggressive with people she's attracted to. Sexually aggressive just by itself That's not the best thing to frame a girl for because that just kind of gets taken as slutty or a bunch of negative connotations to just sexually aggressive. But sexually aggressive with someone you're attracted to, that's something she can get behind. And if she's already attracted to me, now there's this implied idea that she can be sexually aggressive with me. Now, the reason I said what about the farmer is I want her to just kind of blow off the farmer. So whatever she says, I'm going to say, yeah. The farmer is society's rules and restrictions about sex and sexual relationships. And you said, fuck the farmer. So I have to be careful with you, like when the lights are out. And that's it. So what I've done there is I've set three pretty important frames um, all through a test. And the other great thing about this is I'm not doing any of this. The great thing about using tests is that I'm not saying she's sexually aggressive. It's just the test. I'm not saying that she doesn't care about society's rules and restrictions about sex. It's just the test. So there's a little more authority to it, and it's a little less me trying to tell her that these she's these things. So that's one good thing I'll use. Another thing I'll use is a tactic I call fast-forward rewind. Fast-forward rewind is basically a tactic where I'm going to overdo the sexuality, then I'm going to rewind it to like more of a typical kind of gender role, and then I'm going to fast-forward again. So this is a really good way to start playing with sexuality. So I might say something like, you know what? you're totally awesome. I'm totally going to marry you. And then we can totally have threesomes with like your sisters and stuff. That's a fast forward. Basically, I've started with a typical kind of gender relation of getting married, a typical role play. And then I've turned it really sexual. Now what's going to happen is she's going to go, no, no, we can't do that. And I'll now I'm going to rewind again. And I'll go, oh, yeah, no, I mean, we totally wouldn't do it like our wedding night or something. You know, it'd have to be like 20 years down the line. I mean, but I am expecting anal like on our first date. And by fast forwarding and rewinding, I can play with this game. The girl gets it. It's funny. And it's allowing me to sexualize the conversation again without directly sexually threatening her, without directly saying, these are the things I want to do to you right now. 
and it allows me to make humor. And humor is the best way to start introducing sexuality into a conversation. It's always the best way to do that because it's not threatening, it's not serious, but you are talking about sex. Now, if you start to try to discuss sex in like a really serious way, girls can be creeped out. But if you make jokes about it, you're never going to creep a girl out and you're getting her to think about sex. And that's that's really one of the keys when it comes to getting the conversation sexual. Great, man. Thanks for those examples. They're really clear. I remember the strawberry fields routine from way back when I first started this as well. So it's been going strong for a long time now. It's good to see. Yeah, I think that version's a little different than the one that's been around for a while because the original one, I think, is just kind of a way to analyze girls or whatever, but that one right. is more a specific routine for sexualizing the interaction. As you were saying, I was thinking it's a lot about teasing. I mean, you're using her responses to tease in a sexual way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Another thing I was thinking about is basically this is all about bringing up sexual topics. And as you said, in a funny way, is there any times that you don't bring them up? in a, a funny, humorous way? Yeah, as the interaction gets longer and, and more comfort is built, more rapport is built, then I'll stop bringing up sex in a funny way and I'll kind of turn things more into just talking about sex in a matter-of-fact way. So I might say, like, one thing I do a lot is I try to inoculate for last-minute resistance because last-minute resistance is the worst thing in the world. So basically... Later on in the interaction, after we've been making out, as I'm trying to like set up my pull or whatever, I want to start inoculating for last minute resistance. So I'll start talking about sex in a more matter of fact way. I'll say, you know, something like one of my biggest turnoffs, either I'll ask the girl what her biggest turnoff is, or I'll just start talking about my biggest turnoff. And I'll say, you know, one of my biggest turnoffs is feeling like I want someone more than they want me. You know, like if I get the sense that I'm more into like something than the girl, then I'm just completely like turned off and I'm really not into it. And the reason I say this is because I'm setting things up for later so that if she does kind of give any last minute resistance, I can just tell her I'm going to be done. And the reason for this is because I've had a lot of experience with last minute resistance. I've had years where I probably had 75% of the girls in my bed not end up sleeping with me and like with really big numbers. Like I remember specifically in 2005, I slept with like 56 girls that year, but I probably had like close to 200 girls into my bed. And just couldn't get through the last minute resistance with a lot of them. And I finally just gave up doing last minute resistance like two years ago, three now, maybe like four years ago now. I met this girl, this 19 year old chick at the mall. And like I ended up pulling her from the mall to my house. And I have spent like eight hours in bed with her, like trying to get through last minute resistance. Like literally <laughs> from like, literally from like 10 p.m. to like 6 a.m. And I finally ended up having sex with her. And afterwards, I didn't feel good about it. I was just like, this I was so stupid. So I just I decided I wasn't going to do it anymore. And I wanted to get that idea out really early on. So I'll say, you know, I don't do like the high school thing, like the let's like dry hump and like not have sex. I'm like, I'm, I'm just totally not into that. If you don't want to have sex, that's totally fine. But I don't like to do like that in between gray area. And I'll say that pretty matter of factly to a girl 45 minutes, an hour in, and they'll agree. And then what that does is it sets up one of the things with sexual framing and with framing in general is it sets up a way to put social pressure on people later in interactions. So later in the interaction, if we're like in bed and I like try to take her shirt off or her pants off and she's like, oh, I don't really know about this. I'm like, you know what? Cool. No problem. Like I told you, I'm not into like trying to force myself on people. I'm not. It's a big turn off to me. So let's just stop. And I'll actually stop. It's not like a freeze out or any of those kind of tactics where you're stopping, but you're really not stopping. You're really just kind of taking a five minute break. 
I'm willing to let it go. Because in my experience, there's two types of last minute resistance. There's last minute resistance from girls who actually don't do stuff like this. You know, a lot of the dating coaches and pickup guys, they want to believe that every girl has one night stands and every girl does stuff like that. And in my experience, it's not 100% true. It's a very small percentage of the population that doesn't, but they do exist. There are girls who just don't do stuff like that. And she's just not going to sleep with you no matter what you do. You can do a million freeze outs. You can do all these tactics. Like short of rape, she's just not going to sleep with you that night. With those girls, when you stop, that's what they really want because they weren't going to go further anyway. And then there's the other type of girls. And I would say this is probably like 95% of girls is they want to have sex, but they want you to respect them and they want you to not feel like they were too easy. And so they feel like they have to give last minute resistance to feel like they're not going to be that easy, but they actually do want to have sex. So with those girls, when you stop, they're going to reinitiate and they're going to be like, well, we don't have to stop. And what happens a lot, and it's really interesting because I get a very specific set of phrases because I always tell girls, don't do anything you're not comfortable with. I'm like, look, I'm not here to try to make you do something you're not comfortable with. It's a really big turnoff to me if you're not super into this. So let's just stop. And almost always the girls who are in that second case, that 95% of girls who want to have sex, but just kind of want to make you work for it or make them feel respected, whatever, they'll say, no, you know what? I am comfortable. I just, I didn't think I would be comfortable this fast. That's the exact set of wording I get almost every time now. That's kind of an example of a more serious way of talking about sex. And I'll say, look, you know, obviously I want to sleep with you but I don't want you to do anything that makes you uncomfortable. And I don't want you to feel like any sort of pressure. Like I still am going to like think you're cool if we don't have sex tonight. So don't take it any sort of way. That to me is eliminated. Like I never get LMR. Not never, but I've had like twice in the last four years where girls are like, okay, cool. I'm like ready to leave. Because most of the time they just want to deal with that whole respect, not feeling bad about doing what they want to do issue. Okay, great, man. That really clears it up. And thanks for the whole point on last minute resistance. Those are some interesting numbers, you know, you throw out there stats, uh, 95% of women, you think it's more of a respect issue versus the 5%. Those 5%, have they got certain personalities or characters? Like, could you spot them earlier on just so like guys can get ideas around that? It's difficult to pinpoint because sometimes those girls will be really into you and they'll seem like they're totally ready to go and then you get them into bed and it's just like complete kind of freeze up yeah is it their backgrounds you think like their values their backgrounds probably i mean i think some girls are just a little more cautious with getting sexual some girls don't want to sleep with a lot of guys or they don't have that much experience doing it they don't feel that comfortable doing it They've kind of already made a decision. In their mind, the decision has already been made. It's more of like a logic versus emotion thing. They're not operating fully on emotions. They're operating on this logical basis that I'm not the type of person who does that. So I think it's more like an identity kind of thing. I've yeah. noticed it mostly in girls who have more education, are a little less in the party like lifestyle and a little more into like more intellectual pursuits. Like the last girl I got last minute resistance from, she's a sailing coach and comes from like old money in Boston and is in law school and was a teacher for like special ed students. So I think I would agree, by the way, on those kind of personality traits and that kind of background you just brought out. I've seen something similar. 
But on the flip side, my last really long-term girlfriend was also like went to grad school, was a special ed teacher as well. And like I slept with her the first night and she's a very sexual girl. So yeah, we're obviously not saying all the girls from that kind of background are going to be like that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think they're just kind of an anomaly that are out there. It's not a huge percentage of women, like I said, but they do exist. It's not always your fault if you get a girl into the bedroom and you can't make things happen. Sometimes yeah. there's just type those types of girls who are not going to do the stuff like that. I'm glad we came onto this topic because I was going to bring it up for the, the sexual conversation aspect because I'm sure some guys are going to say all women, it's not all women who have these sexual sides that are comfortable with sexual conversation. And one phrase I think I saw in one of your courses is you say all women have sexual sides. They are just selective about who sees it. Yeah, absolutely. I think even those girls have sexual sides. With those girls, I think it's a timing thing. They're not going to like sleep with you on the first date or on the night they meet you, but they still have a sexual side. It's not like they're asexual. It's just for them, it's more of a weird thing. It's a slower process, I think. It just literally is like, maybe they're going to have to see you two or three times or everyone. There's a different speed of a process. I think they just have, they have a certain amount of time they need to know someone before they're going to get sexual. But all women have sexual sides. And I mean, honestly, a girl who's not comfortable discussing sex, even on the first meeting, is probably going to be really boring and bad and bad. Because the discussion of it, especially when you're doing it kind of the ways we're talking about on this audio, is not threatening. It's not like, are you going to be able to discuss what her favorite positions are with every girl? No, of course not. But bringing it up in a funny way, talking about the LMR inoculation, doing the strawberry fields test, teasing her sexually, using stuff like fast forward, rewind, all that stuff. If a girl's like getting offended at that, like number one, she's not attracted to you at all. Because if a girl were attracted to you, she'll kind of roll with all of that stuff just because she likes you. Number two, she might have some sort of emotional or sexual issues. Because again, like none of this stuff is offensive. None of this is me saying like, oh, I'm going to fuck your brains out or like talking about dick size or like asking her like if she shaves her pussy or anything that could really be offensive. One of the things I pride my stuff on is it's never going to get you in trouble with women. I know other guys who teach stuff like their students get kicked out of the mall or like they have girls throw drinks on them. That stuff never happens to my students because all of my stuff is pretty subtle. You know, I'm never going to like have you go out there and just like be cavemanning chicks or like rubbing your dick against them because that stuff doesn't work and it's stupid for lack of a better word. So if a girl's like really getting offended by any of the stuff I teach, I think that that says more about her than it does about you. Because some girls, I think one thing is guys really shouldn't be trying to turn the conversation. So I hold of attraction like steadfast on that. Can you do it sometimes? Sure. Do I break that rule sometimes? Absolutely. But as a good general rule, especially the newer you are to this stuff, especially if you're not the type of guy like who's going out and having like, you know, same night lays on a regular basis, you want to really make sure the woman's attracted to you, isolated and in a one-on-one conversation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. The iTunes rank of the show is critical for getting the best guests onto the show. Ranking is largely determined by subscriber count, so more subscribers means better guests. Also, if you've already subscribed, then please leave a rating and review. This also helps increase the iTunes rank. Help me make this podcast the best resource possible for you. To subscribe or rate with one click, go to datingskillsreview.com iTunes. So what would be just uh, something for them to keep in head 
so that they know for a guy who's kind of all new to this and he's like well i don't know like okay so i've i've got her isolated she's on her own she's talking to me what little rule can i have in my head that she's attracted and it's okay to start introducing this kind of conversation there's three basic ways to test attraction guys don't do this stuff because they don't want to know the answer I firmly believe that a lot of guys, they don't test attraction because they don't want to find out the girl's not attracted to them because they've been talking to her for 20 minutes. They want to really believe that she's attracted and these tests and trying to move things forward, they could reveal, oh, she's not actually into me. So the three tests are number one, touching. A woman can lie to you with words. A woman can work you for drinks. A woman can talk to you just to not be bored but she's not going to let you touch her and she's not going to touch you and respond positively to touching if she's not into you. That's the number one sign of a girl's into you, how she reacts to your touching. If I touch her and she kind of moves away or she, you know, gets tense, muscular tension, she kind of gets uncomfortable. She's not into me. Second thing is qualification. Again, girls will talk to you all night, even if they're not interested because of validation, because of boredom, because you're a nice guy, because you're semi-entertaining. Those are all things that will keep girls in a conversation with you, even if they're not into you, but they won't qualify themselves. So when I say things like, what's your coolest quality? What's the best thing about you? What makes you special? What do you do for fun besides hanging out in bars? What's your best quality? What are the three coolest things about you? What do you have going for you more than your looks? When I give hard qualifying questions, if a girl's not willing to answer those, she's not that into you. And the third thing is movement, moving the girl around, moving her into isolation. If you started talking to a group of three girls and you were able to move her away from her friends, chances are she's probably into you because she's not going to leave her friends if she isn't. But guys really steadfastly refuse to use these tools. And I've seen it on boot camps. I've seen it in my private coaching students. I've seen it all the time because they feel like they're losing something because if you try to touch and she's not into it, you might have to end the interaction. Or if you try to qualify and she doesn't do it, you might have to end the interaction. So you're talking, this is the underlying fear. Because when you talk about those things a lot, you say the guy's just scared to touch because it's something he doesn't do that often perhaps or maybe he cares too much about this one girl so he's he's scared of that rejection you're saying and that's why he's not going for it yeah exactly there's two things at work here the first one is what's called the male sexual overperception bias this is actually a real psychological thing which says that when women speak to men and give men even the slightest courtesy men are going to assume that they're interested in them so as dudes, we are like biased. It's, it's called a bias for a reason. We're biased towards believing that anytime a girl's talking to us or engaging with us that she's interested, whether or not that's actually true. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you think she's interested, but you kind of know she maybe isn't that interested or you don't want to push it and risk ruining it. Guys think that having a conversation with a woman is some sort of prize. They think that like, oh, well, if I can just keep this going, then maybe it'll get a little better. But ironically, the way to make it better is through touching qualification and movement. You're basically just kind of treading water rather than trying to move towards something. And you basically know when it's really on and when it's kind of touch and go. And a lot of guys who are practicing this stuff have a lot of touch and go interactions where they really don't want to mess up because they feel like I'm enjoying having this conversation. They're at least not rejecting me. They're at least open to something. Maybe if I just keep going and say the right thing, then this will turn into something. But at that point, it's not about saying the right thing. It's about testing for attraction because women will talk to you 
and lie about being attracted because they like the validation, because they like the entertainment. So this is about the guys not wasting their time. So not spending hours and hours with a girl who's really not that interested in them at all. Right, exactly. Without getting some solid feedback through touching, qualification, and movement that she's actually into you. Great, great, man. Thanks. That was all very clear. Good stuff. So I think we've kind of run the mill on this uh, with the examples and everything. Uh, The one thing, like I said, I wanted to come back to was kind of balance. So once a guy has started introducing some of these, how, how does he like stay away from going too far over the top? And that's the main thing, right? Once he's done a bit of it, you like he's not really likely to let it go too low afterwards. Or does that happen as well? Um, sometimes you can fucking go too low. Like sometimes you can kind of start out really good. There's a couple of different things that happen. So I'll just list the various ways you can screw this up and I'll, I'll kind of try to give some examples of how to avoid that. One way that you can screw it up is by going too far in the humor. I've done this several times where I've made so many sexual jokes that trying to gear down and actually get sexual, the girl's not taking it seriously because you've been joking about it for too long. So you want to like joke about it in the beginning. Humor is really just a way to introduce sexuality. It's not the only way to do it. You don't want to keep making jokes and like talking about like fucking her in the ass and like a in a humorous way or like these over the top like sexual things because then you're either going to creep her out or you're going to get stuck in this kind of funny sexual guy mode that isn't really helpful for moving things forward. So that's one mistake. Man, you just said something really explicit. So I just wanted to bring up the topic of like, is it okay to say fuck in the ass to any girl? Or would you modify the type of sexualization according to the girl? I would always modify it, but I'm just throwing that out as an example. I wouldn't say you want to be joking about that. I was just trying to give something that was really obvious and explicit. One of the cardinal rules of pickup that I always teach is that you always want to modify to the girl who's in front of you because every girl is different. Some girls are going to get offended by things that are more explicit. Some girls are going to mock offense because they're kind of more gameplay. Um, Some girls are going to think stuff like that's really funny. So you've got to get a sense of who am I dealing with? What type of girl am I dealing with? What type of girl is in front of me? The other thing guys will do is they'll throw a little bit of sexuality out there and then they'll shut it down because they have trouble making that jump from humor to like serious. So again, you've got to make the move from humor to serious. And the way to do that is through statements of intent, saying things like, I think you're really sexy, saying things like, oh my God, you have no idea what I'm thinking about right now. Saying things like, if nobody was here right now, you don't even know what I would want to do to you. Saying things like, you know, I have ideas for what am I going to do with you? I have ideas, but they're not appropriate. Or you just gave me an inappropriate thought. Stuff like that, where you're now moving into the more serious, more here and now, still using those barriers that I talked about, because you never want to say something that can be rejected. The thing about barriers is there's no point in rejecting them because there's a barrier in between it. So the girl doesn't have to reject it. You don't want to say something that's going to allow her to reject it. And then another mistake guys make is they just go too far when they're getting a positive response. The girl starts getting a positive response. She starts giving signs that she's getting turned on. And then the guy like pounces and just thinks like, okay, now I need to like dirty talk in her ear and like try to finger her in the club. And that's never a good idea. Once you have a girl who's responding positively Now you want to really push and pull. Now you want to really use sexualized push-pull to get her turned on and then push her away because you want her to be initiating more now, now that she's into it. So that's where you can start baiting her. That's where you can start sexually teasing her. That's where I can do things like kiss her neck and then go, all right, you like that too much and push her away. 
Now she's starting to get turned on and she's also being challenged. So she's going to want to respond and kind of move things forward herself. So those are the three major mistakes I think that happen with balance is either overdoing the humor and never turning into a real person, doing a little bit at the start and then kind of chickening out of moving into the more here and now and explicit stuff and seeing that you're getting a positive response and then just trying to go too fast, too far. Great, man. That's all very clear. um, You obviously have a very structured view of all of this, so it really helps to make it clear to guys. I guess that's reflected in your experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been doing and teaching this stuff for a long time. So do you still do boot camps as well? No, no. I do phone coaching now. I don't do boot camps anymore. I just don't think the two days is enough time to really get a lot out of it. Uh huh. So it's more like mentoring kind of? Yeah, exactly. I work with guys for about three months at a time. Once you can figure someone's sticking points out, it's going to take them a while to work on those sticking points anyway. So it's better to have kind of more of a long term. Yeah, I agree with that. That's something we've been doing a bit of here as well. You know, it's, it takes on weeks of work to work on a sticking point. It's not going to be solved in a, a couple of hours. That was my big problem with the boot camp model is I can assess your sticking points and having seen you do three or four approaches or even just hearing you describe what happens in approaches. I can I can pan your sticking points, but now it's going to take you two, three, maybe six weeks to really work on that. And then what happens is then once you fix one sticking point, another one pops yeah, up or you up, yeah. just move on to another part of. Yeah, I remember last time you came on, you talked about kind of this left to right process. You have to work on the stuff right at the left side at the beginning. So if you don't know how to approach someone and go and talk to them, you obviously have to start there. And then you come up as you move forward, you come up with new sticking points at each you know kind of step and you just work your way through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I really believe that you have to start with the fundamentals and then move on to the more advanced stuff because otherwise it just doesn't work. I was also, it was it was cool that you brought up some of your kind of personal experience. You're saying back in 2005, you're getting a lot of LMR. Uh, so I wanted to also talk to you a little bit about, you know, your whole experience over the last 10, how many, it's been like 10 or so years, right, for you? Yeah, it's been 10 years of me teaching professionally and like 12 years of me doing pickup now. Yeah, yep. so that's it's over a decade. That's yeah, like for sure. So one of the things is, what has been your best experience with a woman to date? Um, My best experience? Probably have a few, but if you just pick one of them. My last long-term girlfriend was really awesome. She's a really special person. The hottest girl I ever picked up was the stripper Christiana that I dated back in like 2007 that I picked up at the King of Diamonds in Miami. So that was probably kind of, and then this girl, Megan, this strip club waitress I dated in Dallas for a while also. I mean, all of those were like really good experiences. I mean, I've had a lot of really good experiences. What was like special about those experiences that made them stand out for you? My ex-girlfriend was the best relationship I've had and probably the closest I've come to seriously considering getting married. Yeah. Is there anything specific about the relationship? I'm just trying to like see if anything interesting the guys could kind of learn from this. I just feel like I kind of met someone who was on the exact same wavelength as me. The pickup was like pretty easy. The whole thing was pretty easy because me and her just got along really well. Same sense of humor, same. Right. Is it very natural conversations? Yeah. Like it's all very, very easy. You don't have to think. It's you just being yourself and it's all working really, really yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, I think that you find girls like that very rarely. A lot of time, it's a lot of work. So when it's not a lot of work, and you also can kind of actually be yourself, which is bad advice for most guys starting this, but you know, it's nice. It's nice to be able to just be totally open and honest and and present yourself as you are without needing to 
bring out the best parts and kind of minimize the worst. I yeah. think that's that's always very attractive to me. It's a lot more fun. Makes everything. A lot yeah, better. absolutely. But I also recognize that it's rare. It's not something you're going to find every night. It's not something you're going to find every month, even you know, or every three months. It's not out there that much. So yeah, that's probably what I enjoyed about that. Christiana was just super hot. Still the best looking woman I've ever seen in my entire life. And that was that pickup was on a boot camp like afterwards. So like I got a lot of like props from all the other instructors and everyone. Everyone thought that was really cool. So that was a nice little ego <laughs> boost back then. And what year did you say that was? I was like 2007. I was like seven years ago. Well, that was great. So it was a bit nearer to the front end of it. So it helped to build your reputation and everything. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, I mean, it was it was a cool situation. And it was like high degree of difficulty and like a crowded strip club so in terms of impressiveness that's probably the most impressive pickup i've done let's swing to the other side now what have been your worst experience with a woman today okay i'll give like a specific and then i'll i'll give um kind of what i think is a bad experience overall right now worst specific experience was i was (laughs) this is kind of a funny story i was at a friend's birthday party and i was introduced to this girl Andrea and uh she was like supposedly gay but she was like flirting with me really heavily we like started making out and she was also flirting really heavily with this girl Sophia who was another one of our friends so Sophia was like am I gay like what's going on and so Sophia and me were like pretty good friends and she dragged me to the bathroom and was like like what's going on with this girl and I was like well you're not gay right and like I literally spent like half an hour like talking to her about how she wasn't gay And like talking her down. And I was like, and on the other hand, I'm like, and me and that girl have been making out. So why don't you just, instead of having a crisis of sexuality here, why don't you just like leave me and her alone? And she was like, okay, cool. And then we walk out of the bathroom and like not five minutes later, her and Sophia are like making out and they like run away and like jump into a cab and like go back to Kim's house and like have sex. And like, literally like I got like my, my, my straight female friend turned gay to cock block me. So that's probably my worst experience. Yeah, I was pretty upset about that. But I think in general, I think the pickup experience has gotten worse in the last few years for a couple of reasons. The first one is the rise of text messaging over calling. When back in 2005, 2006, 2007, no one really texted. So you could call girls and it's much easier if you can get a girl on the phone to get her to come out. I converted so many numbers that wouldn't have really been that interested in me, but I was able to talk to them for 20, 30 minutes on the phone, convince them that I'm cool and also show them that if we do hang out, because hanging out is kind of a big commitment of time. It's at least an hour to 90 minutes. She has to get ready. She has to go somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. So a guy she just met. Unless you've really made a a big impression, which a lot of the times you do, especially when you get better at pickup. But sometimes it's just a quick 10, 15 minute conversation, Rite Aid or CVS or whatever. And it hasn't made enough of an impression on the woman to really do that much. And you need more time. Um, Well, 2014, no one picks up their fucking phone. So it's now all texting and texting really gives women almost 100% of the power. She can ignore the text. She can text back once and then take eight hours to text you back. And there's not really anything you can do because I'll even try to trick girls, you know, like I'll text them. And then the second they text me back, I'll call and I'll even get a decent amount of percentage of girls who literally just texted me back a minute ago. Don't pick up the call at that point because no one talks on the phone anymore. That's kind of my big overall frustration with pickup is I just I wish we could get back to like more being able to talk on the phone because it's better for pickup. 
And also, I think in 2014, I think women have gotten to a very strange place with like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook where they can get validation without actually having to do anything. I know several of my attractive female friends, like if they're feeling bad about themselves, they'll like put a picture of themselves in yoga pants, like up on Twitter or Instagram or something. And all these dudes will be like, oh, you're so hot. And they get validated without ever having to even interact with someone. Whereas before they had to like go out to a bar and get hit on. And so because of this, because women like that validation, I feel like in 2014, women are much less likely to say that they're not interested in guys. Like I will even like push girls to this point because you get stuck in kind of a like text limbo. It doesn't happen to me very often. So you're saying they've kind of got used to the whole dynamic of getting validated all the time and they like it. So they don't want to push guys away. Specific exactly. They don't want to give specific answers. Like, I mean, like you just don't really get rejections anymore. You just get put into this weird kind of limbo. And for me, I know that you want to be in or out. I would much rather a girl like right at the beginning of me talking to her tells me she has a boyfriend or tells me she's not interested than like doing the whole string you along thing. And I feel like nowadays girls are very loath to do that because they like the validation too much. So like I've even had situations with girls. I've had situations with girls who I've had sex with where they're taking like six or eight hours to text me back. And I have to be like, look, like if you don't care about me, that's fine. But like you either need to text back in a timely manner or just tell me you're not interested because this is bullshit. And I feel like you have to do stuff like that more and more because girls will just kind of string it out because they like the validation of you calling, texting, you know, commenting on their status, et cetera, much more. Just to add one thing in there, like you are based in L.A., right, in California, which is known for this type of behavior as well, more so than other places. Yeah, but I'm in the process of moving to the East Coast and like I see it everywhere. I see it in small towns. I've seen it everywhere I go. I really do believe it's what I always say is like if you wanted to turn. Also, also hey, man, how old are the girls? Because because I was over in San Diego for a while and, and I was doing some online dating and stuff. And I saw some of what you're talking about. Some of the other women wanted the like, especially the older ones, like uh, say 30 after 30, the age of 30. No, I think 30. after 30, it's much less. And I also think online is much different. I mean, I've run into it with 30-year-olds, too. I just think it's a shifting of the culture towards more of a no-responsibility type culture. It's no definitions, no responsibilities, no need to harsh the vibe. Um, Like, I always say, like, if you wanted to turn American women into, like, terrorists who would, like, do jihads, all you would need to do is, like, somehow convince them that they'd have 100 friend-zoned guys in the afterlife, and they'd be strapping bombs to their chests. It's just something that I think culturally women have kind of adapted. And it's really funny because you never see the feminists like mention that at all. You never see any of the really pro-feminist writers talk about the friend zone or this kind of stringing out of validation. You hear them talk about like, oh, sex isn't a right and all this kind of stuff. But you don't hear the flip side where they talk about like the stuff that they do to dudes. And I'm not even one of those like hardcore like men's rights or anything like that. I just think it's an interesting way to not take responsibility for bad behavior. So to summarize all of this, to deal with this, it's frustrating because you find yourself wasting more time with women that aren't interested with the process. And so have you become less tolerant and a lot more direct to deal with that? Yeah, I definitely find that I've been much by the way i think that also comes with experience you know i've been around 10 plus years as well and the longer i've been in it the less tolerant i've become because you've seen a lot of stuff before it's the same experiences right and so you're not actually getting as much value from it unless it's a girl you're really really interested in and something special then 
you've got a lot less reason than you had 10 years ago to keep investing that time. Yeah, and I also just think it's how much of a game-playing person you want to be. Like with the texting back time thing, you'll get girls just basically lying to you. They'll say things like, oh, I didn't look at my phone for six hours, which no girl in America is not looking at their phone for six hours. I mean, maybe if they're like a surgeon or like a high-powered like courtroom attorney, then they're like doing something that they're not looking at their phone. But like a girl who's like a freelance producer in Los Angeles, like what were you doing that you were not looking at your phone? No, you just don't. It just doesn't matter to you. And that's fine. But just admit that it doesn't matter to you. That's my thing is like own what you're doing. Don't sit here and lie to me and play these games and be manipulative and not take responsibility for it. I just think culturally we're moving towards a culture where no one is responsible for anything. Is this affecting all women or do you, you know, you still find women who are more straightforward and direct and I mean, you find women that are more straightforward, but it's much more the rarity than it even was 10 years ago, I think. So, and what another way you deal with this is you focus more on the women that are more direct and more straightforward. Right. And I also have another tactic I use, which is that when girls do get into that kind of gameplay, like weird zone, this tactic only works like on one out of every three girls, usually girls who have daddy issues or like things with their father. But I'll actually like cuss them out when girls are playing the stupid games. Like not only will I call them on it, but I won't call them on it in like a funny, like pickup way. Like, oh, like, have you been abducted? Because I haven't heard from you. Like, I'll literally go, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're fucking stupid. Why are you taking 20 hours to text me back? That's fucking dumb. You're stupid. And what I've found happens is, and this is very, I have the statistics to like back this up over the last two years, is if I do that to three girls, two of them will cuss me back or just ignore them. But one out of every three girls I do that to will like profusely apologize and I'll and then make plans within 24 hours and have sex on me on, with me on the first day. Super consistently. I'm talking like 30, 40 girls that I've done this with over the last two years where they profusely apologize or like, let's hang out tomorrow and then have sex with me like the first time we hang out. Um, right. I think it's just kind of like a loophole in like daddy issues or like they're, they're they don't have like efficient boundaries being set. But yeah, I mean, that happens. Like you will get cussed out doing that too, but you will get laid doing that because you're the only dude who ever does it. And I think it, I mean, if I was to psychoanalyze it, I think it's a couple of things. One, it's an issue with men. And two, it's that you sort of care, especially in Los Angeles, like everyone's like too cool to care. Um, But I just think culturally we're all like, oh, we're so cool. I don't care about things. So when you get mad, it's showing that you're at least having an emotional reaction and you at least sort of care about the person because it's not apathy. Because the worst thing in the world is apathy. It's not hate. Because if someone hates you or gets mad at you, they're emotionally invested. It's when people just don't care. So people don't want to feel as if no one cares. So even if they're getting some sort of negative emotional investment, it's still better than the no emotional investment of just like, okay, well, I guess it doesn't matter. It's definitely an interesting discussion. I've seen some of these dynamics as well. So, you know, I totally get where you're coming from, especially when you cuss people out. I've seen that too, where you end up having sex pretty quickly afterwards. All right, man, a couple of last questions. So who, not including yourself, would you recommend for high quality advice in this area of your life, like anything to do with dating, sex and relationships? Rob Judge and Bobby Rio, for sure. Those guys are great. Brad P. That's probably it, man. I don't recommend very many people. I don't think there's that many dudes that really know what they're doing in this area. Yeah, those are probably the only like kind of PG. There's some kind of crazy dudes I know, but I try not to recommend them because their shit is real out there. And they even recommend like doing drugs and steroids and stuff. Wow. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like, their shit is, like, a little more out there than the normal dude is probably going to want to go. But, yeah, I'm, fuck it. I mean, they're the guys at goodlookingloser.com. Like, uh, their stuff's really good. They have, like, some really good stuff out there. But they also, like, promote, like, doing drugs and doing steroids. Like, their, like, whole thing is, like, well, if you're not getting attraction, then you should just, like, do a bunch of steroids so you can get buff. And, like, that's not great advice, obviously. But a lot of their stuff on pickup is very good. But I would say basically those three are the only three that I really recommend with no hesitation at all because they have advice that gels with what I teach and and that I think is really legit, especially Rob Judge and Bobby Rio. Those dudes are those dudes are awesome. Great, great. Thanks, man. And last question here. What would you be your top three recommendations to help men get results with this area as fast as possible? You actually answered this last time, but you know, it'd be nice to hear if you know you got some different ideas or Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is you've got to take care of your looks. People don't like to hear that. People want to hear that you can be balding and 50 pounds overweight and dress like a nerd and still get chicks just by like saying the magic combination of words. But I really think the first thing you should do, like if you're not going to the gym, if you haven't gotten a new haircut, if you haven't gotten some new clothes, if you haven't fixed your any terrible issues, right? Like you'd be amazed how many dudes I've run into with coaching who have chipped front teeth or like have a unibrow or like have these things that are so obviously and easily fixed and would make such a huge difference in like the amount of attraction you get when you're approaching women. So I'd say that's the first thing is fix the looks like look as good as you possibly can, because not only will that help you more with attraction, but also make you feel better. Guys bitch about confidence a lot while they're like wearing dirty clothes and walking around with a unibrow and a like balding haircut which are all things you can fit. So you want to feel better about yourself, fix that stuff. The second thing I would say is you got to just do a thousand approaches without really worrying about results. A thousand approaches, that should take you like four months. If you do 20 approaches a week for four months, I guess it'll be more than that for four months, 50 approaches a week. That's how many it would take you four months, um, five months. But you got to just do a shit ton of approaches to A, show you that approaching is not that big of a deal and B to kind of get you used to what happens in the real world. Cause the difference between the people who live on these internet forums and the people who live in the real world is it's a pretty big difference. And then the third thing I would say is you've got to be able to track your progress and find feedback. And when I work with private coaching students, I always have them track their approaches. I think that's the most important thing because I always say students lie and numbers don't. Yeah, I agree. Totally. It's just like when you ask a dude, like how many girls he slept with in the last month, he's going to not tell you the last month. He's going to tell you the best month he ever had. It's just very consistent. So you got to have those numbers so you can say, actually, last week you approached 20. Like This is why my students like never really argue with me because I'm look, dude, we have 480 approaches tracked for you. Like if what you were doing was working, if you knew what you were doing, you would have way better results than are indicated here. I think you've got to be able to track what you're doing, at least at the bare minimum, know how many approaches you're doing to like how many yeah. phone numbers you're getting to like how many dates you're going on. If you don't right, know right. that you don't really have any way to get better. And like you said, when you make it quantitative, it just makes it so much harder to lie to yourself about it. When you keep it flimsy, it's like some wording, it's qualitative, then it's a lot easier to like massage it, even if you're not even thinking about it too much. But when you have hard numbers, you can't lie. Yeah, exactly. We want to make ourselves feel good. Like human beings, like we're always trying to look at things in a way that makes us look a little bit better. But unfortunately, when it comes to improving at this, you've got to look at what's actually happening, not what you wish was happening. So that's where the kind of tracking comes in. So yeah, I think 
fix your looks, be willing to do a lot of approaches and track what's happening. Because once you track what's happening, you're going to find yourself in the same situations over and over again. There's just not that many sticking points that consistently happen. Once you can start conversations, you're basically running out of things to say, not saying the right things to build attraction, not qualifying, not moving, not touching enough, not setting up dates, bad phone interaction, bad physical escalation. There's like 10 or 12 things that you're going to very consistently find happen over and over and over again. And that's when you can then go to the forums or the courses or, or the coaches and say, here's what's happening. What do I do about it? Because I mean, I'm sure you do coaching. You, you've seen dudes who are like, well, I'm not really sure what's going on. Or I think my problem is this when really their problem, like, you know, like I have a student now yeah, that's very cool. who he came to me and was like, I, my problem is an interaction. And then we started tracking his approaches and he couldn't keep a conversation going for more than like three right. minutes. That specific one is very, very common. Yeah, I'm like, your problem is not attraction. Your problem is running out of things to say and not being able to keep a conversation going. Those are two very different sticking points. It seems like guys like to lean on the attraction thing as like an excuse. It's because it's something, they're thinking it's something new, I think. So it's like, I haven't yet learned how to do attraction, but he doesn't like to say, I don't know how to make conversation because it sounds more basic and more. Yeah, I'll get a lot like with dudes, like when I tell them that their basic conversation skills suck, they'll go, well, like, how does that, how can that be? I'm like a top salesman at my company or like, I'm a teacher. And it's like, yeah, dude, that's not cold approach. Maybe in sales, your conversation skills don't suck. But in approaching women, your conversation skills suck. It's two different things, right? And it's contextual. Some people, like if it's been a job for a while, of course, he's going to be good at selling specific things. He's been doing it. He's got a ton of experience in it and he feels comfortable in it. But put him into that new context and, you know, he doesn't want to say. It's like dudes who like get really hot chicks because they're bartenders. I know one dude in LA who like, he literally just kills it. Like he's like, he's actually on a reality show now. But like, I mean, that dude just probably sleeps with 100, 200 girls a year just because like he bartends at like a hot restaurant in Beverly Hills. But But when we go out, like just to go talk to women by himself, he's terrible. He can't approach girls to save his life. But like that dude, in terms of results, that dude kills me in like the terms of hot girls and numbers. But it's all contextual. It's all because he can do it behind the bar where he has some authority and, you know, where they have to talk to him and et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. That exact scenario happened to me when I was like 18 years old. I was working in a bar and it was easy and straightforward and I didn't really say anything, to be quite honest. Um, And and then everything changed when I was in my late 20s and I had to do some work. Yeah, man. But it's not that you always have trouble with conversation. It's that in cold approach, you have trouble with conversation, which makes you the same as literally 99% of all people. Right. So Yeah, yeah. Like being good at conversation in that specific scenario isn't typical. It's something you do have to learn to be good at. Yeah, you very rarely meet dudes who are good at that. And when you do meet dudes who are good at that, you're usually meeting someone who's just done the work. I met dudes who started approaching at like 13, 14 years old and, you know, got good at it by the time they were like 21. So people like just assume they've always been good at it. But you have to put in the work to get good at cold approach. There's no real other way around it. Yeah, yeah. Excellent points, man. Thank you very much for those. And thank you for coming on the show. It's been great having you back. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's been fun talking. It's always good to talk. So hopefully we can do it again soon. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life step-by-step, episode-by-episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at datingskillsreview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.